0: Biohacking. Performance. Mastery. Mindset. This is a show about getting better every single day. The Hack Life with Joel Levin. Welcome to the show. What's up, guys? This is going to be an amazing episode. I want to do a quick just pre-roll for what you can expect in this episode with Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman. So for you guys that don't know him, um, I do an intro of him for the show, but he is a wealth of knowledge. The guy is a former U.S. Army Ranger and a paratrooper, and he's most really well known for going around and speaking with law enforcement, first responders, the military, and he does a lot on killing and violence, and he talks about it. He talks about, you know... Some of the some of the the science behind it, you know why why we're seeing an uptick in violence, um, and some of the psychology and physiology behind it. And one of the first ways that I actually discovered him was many 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 years ago, probably I don't know, probably thirteen years ago. I discovered I discovered uh, Lieutenant Colonel Grossman when uh, I was in a severe incident, and uh, somebody recommended to read his book on combat. And so I did. And it really changed my mind. I'm like, holy cow, there's all these things I didn't understand about auditory exclusion, uh, stress, why your heart rate goes up and condition black, talking about things like PTSD and just things that, you know, I had not really been exposed to. And I really grew a lot of respect for this man and learned a lot. And then... I later got to hear him speak at a seminar, um, talking about the bulletproof mind, and he talks about really just how to, again, the psychology, and how you can be, become a, a a really a, a better warrior, right? And, and some of the things that you know warriors and first responders, the modern day warrior, anyways, might experience, and how you can mitigate some of those stresses. And so this guy, I mean, this is like a huge interview interview for me because. He's just he's a legend, you know, He's a legend in the game when it when it comes to this stuff, and he knows this stuff really, really well. So I mean we go over things, like of course, we go over some of his his preeminent work, you know, uh, about violence and video games and how it affects children and their brain. But what I also learned about the lieutenant Colonel is how much he really is into science and life hacks. We talk a lot about sleep deprivation. We talk about the idea, should we defund the police or not? We talk about some of his best sleep works and really how to hack shift work, which I thought was fascinating. And he tells, at the end, you're going to want to listen. He tells an amazing story that really exemplifies what every cop should be. And it doesn't even have to be for police officers. It can be just for like really how you should live your life. But uh, it, he gives he actually gives two stories he tells, but one of them specifically is about a police officer, and you're gonna love it. It's just you're gonna want to walk away and be like, yeah, that's he's he's right. Like that's who I need to be. That's that's the kind of person I want to lead and become in my life. I want people to remember me, and I want to live a legacy like that. And then last but not least, he really moved me with his his number one ritual. I asked him, does he have any rituals that he he abides by, and he he told me what it was, and it, it, it moved me. It floored me, and I it was very powerful. And I think everyone is going to walk away from this episode learning a thing or two and really just how to be better and how to, like, deal with life in the pandemic. <laughs> I'm laughing because I got my 3-year-old next to me as I'm trying to record this, but that's what you got to do when you're on the move. Yes. So, um, how to be more bulletproof, especially during the pandemic, I think this is going to be a killer episode. I think everyone can get something out of it. You're not just first responders and, um, you're going to really love it. So enjoy. All right. Hey, it's Joel from the hack life and I'm here with Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman. He is a retired U S army ranger and paratrooper and a former West point psychology professor. He's also the director of killology research group and has actually developed the term killology, and it's considered the study of psychological and physiological effects of killing and combat on the human psyche. Lieutenant Colonel, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, Joel. Honored to be on board. You know, I always try to start the podcast with something that's important. Uh, When I was a kid, we had three networks, uh, three channels on TV is all there was. There was a, a city newspaper, maybe two if you're a big city, and maybe a half a dozen national news magazines. And if you weren't on those, there was no way to get your voice heard. Uh, and now we have we we've got true citizen journalism, the podcast. I mean, you know, the 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 these things are amazing. We've broken through the the roadblocks of the of these major news networks. We we now have true citizen journalism. We could dig deeper. I've been on 60 Minutes and 2020 and and it didn't amount to nothing, you know. They cut it down to a couple of minutes. They had no control of what they're going to say. And a week later, nobody cares, nobody remembers. But the podcast, you're able to dig in deep. You know, people listen to podcasts are seeking deeper knowledge. Yeah. And the people providing the podcast, they're they're seeking a mechanism to pass on this wisdom. So I I, I always honor the, the listeners for for seeking that deeper knowledge and the guy putting it together. But most of all is the idea of these life hacks. This, to me, is the, the epitome of achievement of a podcast, to seek out those life hacks and try to distribute them. Uh, you know, I, I never really thought of it. That's really about what my life in books are all about, It's just finding these life hacks and be able to dig in. And, and if it's okay with you, I, I, I'd like to just you know, dive into hacks and working through my books. That, that works yeah. For yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's go. You mentioned Killology. My first book is On Killing. came out in 1995. It's been updated since then. But a um, uh, half a million copies sold worldwide. It's translated a bunch of languages. Marine Corps Commandants Required Reading. We're now in our 20th year of war. And throughout the war, it's been the Commandants Required Reading list, recommended reading, many, many lists. And, um, and, and the book is really simple, but it's a powerful insight that uh, uh, people – you know, the killology, you know, criminology is not about teaching people criminals. And psychology is not about teaching people psychos. And killology is not about teaching people to kill. It's about understanding the factors that enable and restrain killing. And, uh, and, and, and people point some horrible crime. Oh, that proves that mankind is a killer. Said, no, that's one of the million. I mean, literally, of the 330 million Americans in America, that's the one case you can point out. You know, that's the one in 300 million. You explain to me that 99.9% of our citizens for a lifetime never kill anybody or even seriously attempt to. Explain that. Divorce, adulty, layoff, traffic accidents. In a lifetime of provocation, less than one in a thousand citizens will even seriously attempt to take a human life. Explain that. And that's chronology. You know, uh,
0: Well, and I think, you know, you've said in the past too, it seems like people don't want to talk about it. It's like taboo or like, Ooh, we don't want to talk about it. But you, I think have said in the past and correct me if I'm wrong, but Hey, the more we talk about it, the more it's not like this thing and it's not a pathology. It just is.
1: Yes. Yes. Bringing it out in the open, talking about it, examining it. You know, I, I begin on killing talking about, you know, the sex has always been something that would happen all around, animals had sex. You know, you all slept in one room. Sex was something noisy that adults did in the middle of the night. You know, and and then the Victorian era, we suddenly had private bedrooms and we had privacy and we compartmentalized this stuff. And the Victorians put skirts around the furniture because the legs were suggestive. You know, and it, uh. it was a time of sexual repression. Well, today we study sex and we we look at it as a, a, an important part of life and. But the repression in today's society is killing. And, and we're, you know, simultaneously, you know, we're, we're looking at these horrendous movies. And, and at the same time, we got this opposition even talking about it. But uh, I, I think the thing to understand about killology, two applications right now. First is, uh, is in World War II, we found out most of the troops wouldn't pull the trigger. I mean, at the moment or two, to save their lives, they just wouldn't pull their trigger. They'd be brave. They'd run ammo, do whatever you want. But they slam into that resistance. And it was a training flaw. We taught them to train to shoot bullseye targets. We have no known case any bullseyes ever attacking our troops. <laughs> if you've been in the U.S. Armed Forces since the Korean War, you never once shot a bullseye. Man, says, well, you hit the target, target drop, stimulus response, like a pilot in a flight simulator, like a kid in a fire drill. Modern military and law enforcement training makes killing a conditioned response. Under authority, under exactly the right circumstance, then and only then you shoot. And oh, by the way, the video games are doing the exact same thing to our kids. And that's kind of the end of On Killing, where we talked about how the video games are enabling killing. And and people say, I played all those games. I'm not a killer. But something new is happening worldwide. And this is another kind of a life hack, another perspective that I want people to wrap their mind around. You know, first remember that killing is so incredibly rare, and and we study these dynamics that restrain and enable killing in society. We'll talk about that in a minute. But that uh, we try to measure the violence by the murder rate, and the murder rate is being held down by medical technology. It's like, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, the doctors save saving ever more lives, and the number of dead people completely underrepresent the problem. So, you know, if we had World War II level technology in Iraq, we'd have 10 times as many dead American troops, and the same thing is true in our streets. If we had Vietnam level medical technology in Afghanistan, we'd have four times as many dead American troops, and the same thing is true in our streets. Uh, right around right around the year 2000, at the late 1990s, we had a UMass Harvard study that said if we had 1960s technology, the murder rate would be three to four times what it is. So just between the 1960s and the 1990s, we cut murder to about a quarter of what would otherwise be. Or if, you know, it's like inflation. We talk about money. We talk about inflation-adjusted dollars. If we compare murders between 1990s and 1960s, we've got to multiply by four in the 1990s to to equal the number of murders. If we have we have inflation adjusted dollars, we need we need uh, uh, medically adjusted murders, yeah. and so that rate is 20 years old. One medical expert said he believes tourniquets alone may have cut the murder rate in half in just last decade. Cop slaps on a tourniquet, saves a life, you prevent a murder. Cop, cop, all cops carry tourniquets now. Slap on a tourniquet, save a life, you've prevented a murder. Half a million cops on duty every day between the three shifts. You know, another half million EMS out there. Everybody has tourniquets. I carry tourniquets everywhere. If just 20 to 30 people a day slap on a tourniquet and save a life, we cut the murder rate in half. So this idea of of how completely flawed, on the one hand, we say, everybody's a killer, but on the other hand, we don't understand that the actual measurement rate, the number of dead people, completely misrepresents the situation. It's much worse than it looks. So we've gotta look from both sides. On the one side, we're in denial, and on the other side, we're completely misrepresenting the data, so we get a more measured opinion. And the thing to realize is that this is worldwide. That around the planet, across Europe, you know, I got the data that I use in my presentations, Interpol data demonstrates this explosion of violence, you know, the, the 20 most violent nations on the world. But when we talk about violence, the other thing to realize is there is no evil new gun. And you gotta wrap your mind around that. You know, people talk about semi-automatic, high-capacity military weapons. I hold up a picture of the M1 carbine, World War II, six million M1 carbines built. 20 30 round magazines, semi automatic they were junk at the end of world war 2 you think they, they were they were war surplus they were scrap these semi automatic high capacity military weapons this is not new and and you, it's it's it, you, you want to think there's some evil new weapon out there's not the guns didn't change we changed and and i tell you the, the violent media and the violent video games their impact on children is profound and that brings me to my book that, assassination generation. I I invited the White House to the the Parkland school massacre, gave a copy to the president. I invited the White House again last year, gave a copy to the vice president, and and briefed him on media violence and what's going on there. And and just recognize the fact that the data's there. We have the brain scan data, violent visual imagery inflicted upon children. Now, this is very important. Nobody should be talking free speech. Nobody should be talking book banning. Nobody should be telling adults what they can or cannot do. But violent visual imagery inflicted upon children and their body treats it like it's real. Yeah. We gotta understand that. So parenting, a parenting hack. Everything you can do to keep your children free of television, movie, and video games is a blessing. Yeah. And you know what? Uh, I, I have people come up to me every day, tell my parents never had TV or Or, uh, you know, we never had cable TV. We never had video games. My dad cut the cord to the television on the first day of summer and kicked us out the door. Every time they say it's the greatest gift my parents ever gave me. Never once has somebody said I cursed my parents for the TV I couldn't watch. Never once. So I'm telling you, the greatest gift you can give your children. And here's this huge life hack. Yeah. They said, turn off the TV, turn off the video games. And, and they say, and the kids say, well, I'm bored. Boredom is good. Boredom is a is a state that drives you. It's because you're bored, you learn to read and become immersed in books. It's because you're bored, you do imaginative playing. It's because yeah. you're bored, you go outside and build a tree fort and, and play in the tree fort. It's because you're bored, you go to the playground and play in the playground. Boredom yeah. is a good thing. It's a, it's a It's a state like hunger. Hunger is a good thing. It, you, you go eat. Uh, boredom is a good thing because it makes you go and live and fill your life full. Oh, we give him the video game and he just leaves us alone for the rest of the day. Oh, yeah, you, you can feed him drugs and he'd do the same thing. <laughs> and, and, and the thing to understand about the games is they're designed to be addictive, impossible to turn off. Yeah. Uh, and right now, 200 million people are online playing games online. We do this and 0.05% say, oh, good time to quit the game. So we never do that again. We do this and absolutely nobody quits. So they do more of that. It's a constant interactive feedback loop, computer-driven, That have the, just the right color scheme, the right frequency, the right plot to make the game impossible to turn off. Even when there's an end state, like Tetris, you got to jump right back in and do it again. And I tell all you old-timers, out we all remember Tetris. Think Tetris on steroids, we're cracked. And each generation of games gets more addictive. And so adults are being destroyed by these games. Children are being eaten alive. And the games put us in a flow state. And we become incapable of keeping track of time. And we've got all this intrusive technology. we got cell phones and text messages in the middle of the night. People who text message you in the middle of the night Without a darn good reason, are not your friends. <laughs> you tell them, I will block your ass right now. Do not do that. Friends don't do that to friends.
0: Well, or they might be working a night shift, and they, sh- you know, they're just they're up. I mean, you can't blame that if they're a sheep dog at night protecting you. Maybe they're just awake. Oh
1: yeah, But I'm <laughs> not asleep. I, 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 I I'm not at work. I'm sleeping. Yes, you're I protecting your sleep. You you're sleep. You don't interrupt me during my sleep. Yeah, but, you know, obviously we know each other's cycles. And we we respect it. But the, the whole dynamic of, of sleep deprivation, and here's just the most significant boom, you know, world-opening view that I can give you, is to understand that we are currently in a worldwide epidemic of sleep deprivation. The, the intrusive movies, the, you know, Netflix, the head of Netflix said, our major competitor is not other online providers. Our major competitor is sleep he flat said his goal is to take your sleep. Wow. He, he wants you to binge watch his shows. He wants you to stay up all night watching these movies. That's their that's their corp their corporate goal is to take your sleep. And that kills people. And so the thing to understand that, that you know these incredibly addictive video games, uh, you gotta recognize that they put us in a flow state. Suddenly it's three o'clock in the morning. Got no idea where the last six hours went. You got to be start getting to go to work in two hours, and so get to work with no sleep, and your spouse is sincerely ticked off. You know uh, the research tells us that fifteen percent of all divorces in America video games are the cause. Fifteen percent video games cause, yeah. So so just do an online search, video game divorce, boom, it'll come right up. You know the spouse says, okay, what's more important, your family or the game? Oh, that's easy, the game divorce. So I tell people. There's nothing wrong with adults playing any game, but you got to set a timer. Block out an hour every night. Ding! The timer goes off. Use your steel edges save the game and move on. Wow, I played a massive metamorphic uh, on an orgasm game. You can't do it in an hour, do a night. Okay, okay, it's cool. Decide now what's important. Is your vow of marriage important? Is your oath as a peace officer important? Is your family important? Is your job important, or is the game important? Decide now. That game's not really important. It's cool. Quit your job right now. Move in your parents' basement. Draw unemployment. Buy a giant economy-sized bag of Cheetos. Play video games all night long. Millions of people are doing that. But you want to have a life, you want to have a job, uphold your responsibility in your family and your marriage, to so uphold your oath as a peace officer. You got to get those things under control. And what we know is 18 hours without sleep. Your impaired judgment equal to 0.08 legally drunk. 24 hours without sleep, your impaired judgment equal to 0.10 above legally drunk. Two nights without sleep, and there's a lot of people doing that. They, they play games all night, they stagger into work, they play games all night, now they're on the third day without sleep. And two nights without sleep, and you are psychotic. Any graduate of Army Ranger School would tell about hallucinations on the third day without sleep. And so I tell people again, if you want to play those games, just, just just live in your parents' basement and do it. But if you want to have a life, you got to get those games under control. Your family, your job. If somebody's short at work drunk, we kick his ass. If he shows up to work sleep deprived because he played video games all night long, he needs his ass kicked. And so I'll see that the audience of 100 military, 100 cops, and a bunch of looked like a deer in the headlights and say, Whoa, you're talking to me. That's yeah. cool. Nobody ever told you that. It was a social blind spot. Now you know, and he can't deny. You know, damn well I'm right. And he got to get those things under control. So this, this worldwide epidemic of sleep deprivation, three major causes of death have exploded worldwide. Suicides. Suicide is, some of the military research says, a sleep deprived soldier is up to five times more likely to take their life. Sleep deprivation may be the single greatest predictor of suicide. Taking your life is not a natural act. Taking your life, every living organism has a powerful drive to self-preservation. To commit suicide, you have to have profoundly impaired judgment. Alcohol and suicide have always been closely related. Alcohol creates impaired judgment. You make a bad decision, never get a chance to rethink it. But the most pervasive form of impaired judgment is sleep deprivation. And, and children, yeah. kid, teen suicides worldwide, have exploded. Teenage column, 10, 12 year olds, girl, teenage girls' suicide rate per capita has tripled in America in just the last decade. So a cop came up to me during and, and here's parenting one-on-one for the 21st century. When you send your kid to bed at night. Take their cell phone away from them.
0: Yeah, huge. no
1: laptop in the room, no cell phone in the room. They got to go to the room and sleep. So a cop came up to me during the break. He said, "He said I had a good girl." He said she was an A student. She said, "Dad, it's embarrassing. You don't have to take my cell phone every night. You can trust me." He said, "So I trust her. Let her keep her cell phone." He said, a little while later, she took her life. he's my little girl. Wow. Took her life. He said. We never knew the hell she was living in until we looked at the text messages on her cell phone. Night after night of ceaseless, relentless, vicious bullying over the cell phone text message all night long. He said, and and you need to understand, we're not, you can't just ignore that stuff. We're not wired that way. He said, she's up all night long trying to defend herself, night after night, trying to find somebody to stand up for herself. He said, I knew my little girl was bullied to death. What I didn't understand until now, she was sleep deprived, tormented, and bullied to death in front of my eyes. And I let it happen. Wow. He said, I can't ignore that text message in the middle of the night. How can I expect my kids to? He said, the one thing on earth I gotta for my little girl is to take her cell phone every night. Let her turn off all the bad stuff in this world. Uh, this this is that the, the, it's truly cell phone addiction, video game addiction. It is a true addiction. And they go through withdrawal symptoms when you take it away from them. One of my favorite groups is a screenstrong.com, ww.screen screen S C R E E N s S T R O N dot com, screenstrong.com. I'll and they,
0: the they,
1: they they provide a wonderful online resource for video game addiction and cell phone addiction, and they use a medical model. It is an addiction. So remember, so we got suicides have exploded, teen suicides have exploded, traffic deaths have exploded worldwide. Decade after decade, for half a century, we brought traffic deaths down, airbags, seatbelts, medical technology, and now worldwide, they're back up again. What is the new factor? Sleep deprivation. we, We know that alcohol and sleep are the two major factors in traffic accidents. And we're now in the middle of this worldwide epidemic of sleep deprivation. There's a reason why truck drivers and airline pilots and air traffic controllers, nuclear power plant operators, tugboat operators, ferry operator, operators, Amtrak engineers are all required below getting enough sleep. Because the greatest predictor of airline crashes and truck crashes and railroad crashes is sleep deprivation. So is there really any surprise that a worldwide epidemic of sleep deprivation has created a worldwide epidemic of suicide and traffic deaths? But they're not going to connect the dots for you. They're not going to tell you, don't watch Netflix all night long. They're going to tell you just the opposite. They're not going to tell you these video games are designed to be addictive and you got to have the discipline to turn them off. They're not going to tell you that. They're not going to tell you your kid will become addicted to that cell phone. And you should not give your kid a cell phone. They're not going to tell you that. They're not going to tell you that these, the impact of media on your children is very hard. And you should protect your child from media as much. They're not going to tell you that. So the third major cause of death that has exploded is the opiate epidemic. Why opiates? Yeah. Why and prescription opiates have always been there. Well, Why are suddenly opiates and prescription opiates a drug of choice? Sleep deprivation creates chronic pain. Doc, I heard all the time, give me a pill. If you don't need a pill, you need more sleep. Sleep deprivation, the tendons and muscles never have a chance to fully relax. And especially caffeine overdoses. You must cut off caffeine shortly after lunch because it stops you from getting deep cycle sleep. That's when the tendons and muscles fully relax. And caffeine, caffeine doesn't make you not sleep. Caffeine makes it easier to stay awake and harder to have good quality sleep. So we, this caffeine addiction and the sleep deprivation is the critical factor in the opioid epidemic. They're not going to tell you that sleep deprivation creates chronic pain. They're not going to tell you that mega doses of caffeine stop you getting deep cycle sleep, and that creates chronic pain. Oh, by the way, sleep deprivation and lack of deep cycle sleep is one of the greatest predictors of Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. You're setting yourself for Alzheimer's. A study just last year says lack of deep cycle sleep may be the single greatest predictor of Alzheimer's. And so caffeine prevents deep cycle sleep. So then I can tell you this worldwide epidemic of sleep deprivation that I can tell you cut off caffeine shortly after lunch. I'm not going to tell you that. So we've got all of these industries that are invested in sleep deprivation and caffeine abuse. And the result is a worldwide explosion of suicides, traffic deaths and, and 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 opiate overdoses. And and so these these aggressive corporate entities are are, are killing us. Yeah. And they don't care. They're, 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 in, they're in complete denial. If they even recognize that they're doing harm, they don't really care. And again that quote from the director of Netflix is amazing. He flat said their corporate goal is to take your sleep, which yeah. causes suicides and traffic deaths and drug overdose deaths. And, and they don't care. So we got to protect our children. we got to protect ourselves. And I, and I want to give you listeners what I call some sleep hacks.
0: Yes. And- I love that you said that, by the way. just And I'm really glad that you brought up the video games because I have a lot of people that are parents, including myself. And I heard you say this about 10 years ago at a seminar. And you showed the scans. And I didn't have a child at the time. And, um, again, I, like you said in the show, I, I grew up on video games. And I'm like, I turned out fine. And I didn't see any problem with it. But when you see the scans, all the PET scans or whatever they are, uh, it's a huge difference. And I think you even alluded to in the past saying, Hey, these video games are basically like stress inoculating and priming the kids to, but it, it almost prepares them for the shooting. It's like yeah. doing simulation training for first responders. It's like, they've already done it in their mind. And so now we see this huge uptick of school shootings and um, I really appreciate you bringing that to light. I don't think a lot of people understand that, you know? Well, yeah, they don't think that. a really-
1: assassination <laughs> generation. These school shootings are worldwide. They say, well, it's only happened in America because of our guns. No, it's not. Finland's had three multiple homicide by a juvenile in the school. The single worst multiple homicide by a juvenile in the school was in Germany. Uh, and, and, and Germany's had- there one in Moscow- a juvenile bringing a gun into school in Moscow, committing a multiple homicide. They're, they're, they're worldwide. And, and they're, what's the new factor? Not every kid that plays these games becomes a killer, but all the killers played these games. Yeah, and I tell everybody when I was a kid, I never buckled my seatbelt. You know, early mid 60s, every car had seatbelts, but nobody used them. And I was fine. Every kid I know was fine. Not every kid with a seat belt unbuckled died. But all the ones that died had their seatbelt unbuckled, you know? It, yeah. It's a root factor in protecting <laughs> your kids from these things. And, and we talk in our book, Assassination Generation, as a minimum, enforce the ratings. And, and your standard should be higher than the video game industry standard. But the most popular game out there is Fortnite. It's just, it's just a, the current state-of-the-art addictive game. And it's rated T, 13 and above only. But you would never know that. Oh, your eight-year-old can play Fortnite and have fun. Your 10-year-old can play Fortnite and have fun. You gotta, I had to dig, I know how to look, and I had to dig for five, 10 minutes to find out what the rating was on Fortnite. Because they're not gonna tell you this yeah. game is really deep, 13 above only. They're not gonna tell you that. And so this this whole dynamic of protecting your children from this toxic world of these violent images. You know, if, if you're going to watch TV, watch reruns of Bonanza because there's another dynamic happening out here, and that is defund the police.
0: Oh, we got to talk and, about
1: this. Who in the world would think that if we get rid of police, the world will be better? And I'll tell you where that came from. When I was a kid, I watched uh, Sergeant Friday on Dragnet, just a facts, man, you know, one Adam 12 and Marshall Dillon on spoke I had the lunchbox baby. I want to be Marshall Dillon. But today, they watched Breaking Bad and Son of the Anarchy and Soprano, where the criminals are the heroes.
0: They're the good guys, yeah. The
1: criminals are the heroes, and the cops are the bad guys. Name me one cop movie in 30 years. Didn't have a bad cop in there somewhere. You all cheer when the bad cop dies. Training Day, Denzel Washington. Denzel's a bad cop. I've seen the movie. They're yes. all bad. And so here's the key. When children watch those, it was real to them. Children, when they're young, right up till about the time they learn to read, right around seven or so, what's on TV and movies and real life are all jumbled together. And the dreams, you know, quite a while back, my son told my wife, he said, my son, he was in his 30s and he said, did I tell you that or did I just dream it? She said, I think you must have dreamed it. You ever been there? So with children, their dreams in real life and TV are all the same. So they say that the criminal quickly forgets the victim, but the victim never forgets your criminal. Yeah. And we, we victimize those children. We victimize those children by having cops do evil things. And from the youngest days, they saw cops doing evil things, and they were doing it to them. Right up to the 1960s, Hollywood operated by a code. They said, we know the stories we tell will have an impact on our society, and we have a responsibility to tell good stories that reinforce good citizenship. They said, we will not depict crime as being successful. We will not depict overall cops as being bad guys. We will depict cops and robbers and the cops are the good guys and the robbers are the bad guys. But now they turn that on its head. And you can understand when this when this anti-cop propaganda was fed to children, they were traumatized and brutalized by cops. And then we have the crazy media. You know, we you know, we got this case in uh, Minneapolis That guy, that was not intentional murder. At best, it was negligent manslaughter. Oh, that was murder. Oh, it wasn't. And right. the media presents it as murder. And now, oh, he, he 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 got off. No, he didn't. He he was tried for manslaughter. The worst that happened that day was negligent manslaughter. This is not murder. But the media convicts him. Here we got this case in Louisville. You know, Brianna. Oh yeah, the cops murdered that girl. Her, her boyfriend shot at him, and the cop shot back, and she was in the way. Choose better boyfriends. No, that's not that's not the answer. Tell but, the full story, right? Yeah, but, but understand that when those cops were not convicted. People said, "Well, well, they committed murder. They should be convicted." No, they didn't. At F- worst, it was negligent manslaughter. They did had no intention of killing her. They, it was an accident. Right. And so this media convicts them in the news, and then they, they, you know, later on when a jury actually gets a chance, we've been convicted in the media. We should be convicted by a jury of our peers in, you a, know, in, a, in a court, but the media has taken over that role. You have the right to be convicted by a jury of your peers, and you've got to have beyond a reasonable doubt. Our system is set up that it's better for a criminal to go free than an innocent one would be convicted. If we err, we err on the side of of letting the criminal free before we will convict an innocent person. That's our judicial system. Gangbangers get off every day because this is designed beyond a a, a reasonable doubt. If we err, we err on the side of, of letting a, a, a convicted man go rather than, than convicting an innocent person. That's what we, we all agree that's a good thing. Yeah. But then when, when the cops get the same right to court that the criminals do and, and, and a jury appears doesn't convict them, oh, he got away with murder. And so we got this whole dynamic of the evil cops committing evil deeds, getting away, and then now we got this whole dynamic. Where did that come from? It all began was telling sick stories to children. So if you are going to watch TV, watch reruns of Bonanza and and keep them away away from all that stuff that's out there today. It's evil and no big deal for adults. But we got to understand we draw the line when these things are are presented to children. It is a new factor and it is doing great harm to our society.
0: Yeah, and I'm sure I know you know this, Colonel, but they say now, like the prefrontal cortex, the decision-making part of the brain, is not even developed till you're like 25 years old. So when it's being bombarded with all this video games and stimulation, stimulation, st- stimulation, it's gonna have a downstream effect on the brain. I mean, we know that now with yes. better research. So
1: before before we go into the sleep hacks, real quick, uh, the, when we talk about children. There's, I've heard about it one time, and I've always run with it, and it's so brilliant. It's called the last half hour effect. And whatever you do in the last half hour before you go to bed is what you tend to think about. All of us have done some job, and we come home, we collapse in bed, and dream about work. You know, we, we dream about work. Well, the best gift you could give your children is to sit next to them, hold them in your lap, and read a book to them. And the last 30 minutes of every day, they can have a terrible day, but you can program their dreams. And what we dream about is what we process into long-term memory. And they could have had just a horrible, awful day. But the last 30 minutes, you hold them in your lap and you read a book to them. And they've got closeness. They've got comfort. They've got the written word. They've got your voice. And and that's what they're going to remember out of that day. That's what they're going to process into long-term memory there's a, there's a beautiful book called the read aloud book about reading aloud to your children. And it talks, it begins with a poem about how I had a mother who read to me and it was the greatest gift that, you know, it's this beautiful, beautiful thing, this read aloud to your child. My three boys, I, you know, I, I was deployed a lot, but when I was home, I I worked jobs where I get home, you know, I'd, I'd start my day at five and get home at seven, you know, and stagger into the house and, but I, I always got there before bedtime, and I would sit down. We read very immediately We started reading what we call chapter books. You know, the, a real book with real chapters and words. Yeah. We read through the whole Narnia series. We read through the Oz books. We we and and, and right up until they were mature teenagers. I, I mean, right up until the mid-teens. I, I, we it's something we did together. And, and again, I wasn't home much, but when I was there, the one and it turned the kids are not okay. You know, the. I, they don't, there's all kinds of random factors that could have made it turn out bad. There's, there's things parents can't control, but what I could control turned out to be okay. But I think the greatest and most important gift is to turn off that media as much as possible and to read to them every night. And it is a beautiful gift you can give to them. So Absolutely. let's talk about sleep hacks real quick yeah. and dirty. Right, yeah. the first thing to understand is shift work, and law enforcement agencies, cops, want to go to twelve-hour shifts. And every time we do that, it's a disaster. Mm. Look, your little sleepy hollow—you go to twelve-hour shifts. You go from from two accidents a year to six accidents a year. It's hard to make much out of it, right? Yeah. But you're you're at California Highway Patrol. You know, you thousand people went to twelves and dropped it a year later like a hot rock. You know, again, I'm, I, I can't give the specific data, but if they went from from 30 accidents a year to 100 accidents a year. That's the kind of thing that's happening. They yeah, go from dude. from 100 complaints a year to 300 complaints a year. Those are the kinds that are happening. At the end of a 12 hour shift, people are exhausted. You're not getting 12 hours work out of them. No, entire you're not. People, <laughs> I've been there. Do things and say things we well we we'll regret. And, and so here's the deal they want to be like firefighters, work 12 hour shifts, get all that time off. Well, firefighters get asleep on the job. Only firefighters and prostitutes make money. (laughs) (laughs) Then you are no firefighter, baby. So just do a little research. Things are doable. The 10-hour shifts appear to be doable. Got to put hard cap on it. But the most important thing of all is rotating shifts. We are killing people by rotating shifts. It is the most harmful thing we could possibly do. It takes up to a full year to fully adapt to night shift. Every time you rotate shifts, you're giving everybody jet lag. There is nothing you could do to destroy the performance of every one of your people. Like rotating shifts, it gives them jet lag. And the rotating shifts takes years off people's lives and it destroys families. Families handle day shift, families handle night shift. They cannot handle rotating shifts. Now don't cop a pity party out there if you can't control your shifts, and you have to rotate shifts. But understand, it's not a good thing in the long haul. We want to, you know, the, the police association, the police union, yeah, we want to rotate shifts, baby, and we want 12-hour shifts. Well, look at the data. I, I tell the departments, if you're rotating shifts, start saving money now. You're going to be sued. You're going to be successfully sued. You're destroying their performance. You're taking years <laughs> off their life, and you're destroying their families. Uh, the old-timers knew what they are doing. Been for your shift based on seniority. You want to stay at nights for that thing? Good for you. Stay at nights. It took a long time to adapt to nights. You know, stay on nights. You want to move to days, you have the seniority. You've earned it. It's the only fair way to do it. But the newcomers come on board and says, I don't want to wait to get seniority, to be on day shift. This is no fair. Well, suck it up, Buttercup. Yeah, suck it up. Rotating shifts is the most harmful thing we could possibly do. And we can't keep getting away with that. But again, most of the guys listen, they can't handle the shifts and things. So let me give you some solid nuggets. Sleep 101 begins with Nap 101. Nap's our friend. You know, big easel, I write Nap, you know. But 30 minutes is a minimum nap. It's not a good nap, it's a minimum nap. Uh, Anything less than 30 minutes, pretty much a waste of time. Really, and it, it takes about thirty minutes to fall into deep cycle. You know, so you're driving on road here, Bob. And take the little micro naps. Yeah, we all we've all had those little micro naps. Yes, yes. We can head down for ten minutes. The alarm goes off, kind of a startled response, right? But a start sleep deprivation goes hit ten minute nap was a total waste of time.
0: Wow. Okay. So I That's thought you amount. might get in a too deep of a state if you go to thirty minutes, but you say no.
1: Yeah, it sets your, your alarm for thirty minutes. And the alarm goes off and you're bleary and groggy and you don't want to get up because you're asleep. Yeah, It's 30 minutes to fall into sound, deep cycle. I want to get back. I'm going to sleep. So that means the snooze alarm is not our friend. One of the great life hacks I give you right now, never touch that snooze alarm again. Do some research on that. It's like you're trying to force your body to fall into deep cycle sleep in 10 minutes and you can't do it. Yeah. This snooze alarm is actually an instrument of torture. Waterboarding is for amateurs when you're in a hurry. <laughs> if you really want to destroy somebody, if you really want to destroy a human being, wake them up every ten minutes, and the, in a few days there will be an absolutely shattered human being. Yeah. That ten minute, t- this snooze alarm is truly an instrument. The snooze alarm is an evil little button that makes you relive the worst part of every day over and over again, and and you truly are not getting quality sleep, what you're doing is you're throwing away 10 minutes of your life. Get a 10 minutes snooze, another snooze, a third snooze. You just threw away 30 minutes of the day. You and anybody in the room with you. Those three snoozes no, as far as sleep goes, no, as far as your life goes. You threw away 30 minutes of the day to trick your body and go on thought sleep. I will teach you a trick that will put 30 minutes of quality sleep back on every day. That adds up to three and a half hours sleep back in every week. Two pure, beautiful nights sleep back in every month. 24 nights sleep back in every year. Very simple. Set the alarm a half hour later and get the hell out of bed. And set your cell phone, six o'clock, six o'clock, six o'clock. Set 10 alarms for the same time. By the time you turn all those alarms off, you're up. And the you that goes to bed at night has got to make you get up in the morning, get out of bed. And maybe here's the key. Self-discipline, self-control. Are, are you in charge of your body or is your body in charge of you? It's the first act of every day to surrender to your body, hit the snooze line. Or it's the first act of every day to take charge, roll into bed. So, I like that. They do the research. You give a kid a marshmallow, tell them, I'll be back in three minutes with another marshmallow. You don't need that one. You have them both. That is the greatest predictor of success in life, more than IQ. You cannot change your kid's IQ, you cannot change your IQ. But you can change your self-discipline right now, beginning when the alarm goes off tomorrow morning. I'm in charge of my body. My body in charge of me. Have you got, have you got the willpower to suck up a slogan, drive on? Are you in charge of your body? Can you suck up a slogan, drive on? Or is it the first after every day to surrender to your body? Muhammad Ali, boxer, great champion. Muhammad Ali said, championship began every morning the alarm went off. He hated running so bad, he put his running shoes on top of the alarm. He hit the alarm, he grabbed his running shoes. That's champion willpower. Have you got it? Or is the first every day to surrender to your body? And so it's, you know, those of us been in the military, or if we had the opportunity to be in a live in an academy, when the drill sergeant didn't get out of bed, we got the hell out of bed. And we learned a skill. I'm in charge. I gotta get up, I get up. People who'd never been. In the military, people never been in the academy. have got a little bit of a disadvantage. They got to do it themselves. We had the drill sergeant do us. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he trained us really early on. You know, you were not a bad boy. We dumped the bed over. And boom. Hey, yeah. lesson learned first day. Yeah. And, and so it's a skill, but you can teach yourself that skill. You can teach your children that skill. That I'm that. in charge of my body. My body's not in charge of me. And so, um, um, the, naps our friend. This news alarm is not our friend. The dark is our friend. You may not get one more minute of sleep, but you'll get quality sleep if you do it in a totally dark room. I'm a huge science geek. My favorite website is sciencedaily.com. I check it daily through most categories. At, At major research in the sleep lab, totally dark room. Docs say even the glowing dial of a clock is too much. Totally dark room. Bathroom light is on the door is shut. The light coming out of the crack of the bathroom door is enough light to stop your body from producing the melatonin that you need. We're designed to sleep in the dark. So, and if, you, if you're if you doing shifts, you work during the night, you try to sleep during the day, it's almost impossible to get a room completely dark. Aluminum foil over the window is the best bet. But combine, make the room as dark as you can and wear a sleep mask. In the military, we issue those sleep masks out by the fistful. give them to everybody. Looks like long stranger without the eye holes, you know? We mass yes, in the military, my son just went, oh, my grandson just went off to college. And, I, and he knows, he's heard my class. He knows about sleep and sleeping in a dark room. And he's in a room with one other guy in, in the dorm. And I gave him as a, as a graduation present a couple of different sleep masks. Say, which one works for you? You know, these are two of my favorites. But sleeping in the dark and teach your children to sleep in the dark. Babies are sloshing with melatonin. Babies can sleep anywhere. But as we grow older and older, the body produces less and less melatonin. By the time we become teenagers, it's important to sleep in a totally dark room. Remember, that light is stopping you from producing the melatonin that you need. You're getting bad quality sleep. So teach your kids to sleep in the dark, and especially teenagers. They stay up all night long and play video games. When do they sleep? During the day. What's going on? Sun coming through the window. You, you remember sleep deprivation and killing our kids, the three major killers of our kids, suicide, traffic deaths, and drug overdoses. And the three major kill of our kids is all linked to that sleep deprivation and sleeping with the sunlight coming in the room. So, so strive to get that totally dark room. This is, this is a piece of, of hygiene that we're beginning to understand you know, I work with the lady who introduced the concept of emotional intelligence, EQ, right? We have IQ, we have EQ. Yeah. Then we talk about what's the baseline for EQ? Yeah, baby, I got EQ, I got EQ coming out of my brains. I'm I got EQ coming out of my ears. I'm Mr. EQ, baby. Come on. Yeah. Oh, how about you? Let's see. Baseline standards, Mr. EQ. You, you take a shower a couple times a week. Oh yeah, yeah. You change your clothes every now and then. Oh yeah, yeah. You, you get seven hours sleep every night. Ah, sleep is for the dead. <laughs> You have failed the EQ test. You have wow. failed the fundamental test of human intelligence and self-control. You failed. And the most fundamental aspect of being a human being, Mr. No EQ, get out of here. So that this is this is the great epidemic. And the thing to realize is sleep is a biological blind spot. It always happened naturally. It got dark. There was nothing else to do. And then we invented the light bulb and the television and the video game. And so our bodies don't know how to make us get enough sleep. It's a biological blind spot, and we got to make it happen. It's the primary area where our, our technology is killing us. Yeah. It's like, you know, the Romans had lead in the water. They had lead in their wine. They had lead in their utensils. They didn't know they were killing themselves with lead. They didn't know. Yeah. And we're killing ourselves with the technology when it gets in the way of our sleep and our children. Children should be outside going 100 miles an hour, climbing trees and running through the woods. And when it gets dark, you read to them for half an hour, and they're so exhausted, they fall asleep. But instead, they play video games. And, and, and there's no there, there's mental dynamics happening here. But there's no physical exertion involved here. And when it's time to go to bed, their bodies are designed to be exhausted at the end of the day. Their bodies are designed to play and hunt and hunter-gather and, and do all the things you need to do all day long. And, and you know, kids, you know, they, they should never stop there in the playground. They, they you know, they got two speeds, fast and off. You know? <laughs> yeah. And, and and so that uh, the dynamics of physical exertion. So so the dark is our friend, and teach your kids to sleep in a dark room. Nicotine is not our friend. Don't wake up in the night have a smoke. It's one place to use some discipline. Alcohol is not our friend. There's nothing wrong with the nightcap. You know, one uh, one beer on the way to bed doesn't appear to be a problem. Any more than that has a really negative impact on our sleep. I'm a huge fan of the fitness tracker. If I could give every cop a present, I'd give them a, a, a I think the Fitbit Charge 3 might be the best. It's waterproof, wear it in the shower, wear it in the tub. Now wear that fitness tracker. It will track your heart rate throughout the day and that's critical data. It will track your steps, your calories and your sleep and your cycles of sleep. And, and it's idiot proof. You download the app to your cell phone and you, uh, you wear that fitness tracker and it will tell you. As an adult, you need at least seven hours of sleep a night. You've gotten four hours of sleep for the last two months. You can't keep doing it this way, yeah. and, and and we have got to be able to manage our sleep like we manage our money. It's a biological blind spot. We got to make it happen. So the the uh, and and so wear that fitness tracker, pound down three beers, and go to bed, <laughs> and see what it does to sleep. We'll fall quickly into a shallow sleep. You wake up in a couple hours and can't get back to sleep. Any more than one drink on the way to bed is really counterproductive to your sleep cycle dynamics. Caffeine can be our friend. It's a powerful, effective, useful drug to limit your vulnerability to sleep deprivation if you're not abusing the drug on a daily basis. You need a quadruple shot latte to get you in the morning. 64 ounce big gulp mountain duty to get you through in the morning. Another quadruple shot latte at lunch, a six pack of rock Bowl, <laughs> star monster. Like you're abusing the drug. <laughs> we all seen little crackheads and meth heads <laughs> who are main, they're mainlining of the drug and getting nothing out of it. That's what's happening to people with caffeine. They're they're putting mega doses of caffeine in their body and, and barely staying normal. So here's the challenge. And maybe the
0: people in the tenderloin are on a lot of caffeine, then maybe that's what it is that I've
1: It's seen. part of it. Always maybe. part of it. Our entire civilization is riding a, a caffeine abuse. It's, it, again, that sleep, uh, sleep deprivation, the caffeine abuse, is the dominant pathology in our entire civilization at this point. So here's the key. I cut off all caffeine for one day. If you get withdrawal symptoms, and that's what's happening. Those are withdrawal symptoms. Headaches, shakes, digestive problems, irritability. If you cut off caffeine you get any withdrawal symptoms, is living proof you are abusing the drug. And when you need it, it will not be there for you. So taper off, taper off slowly. And here's what we know: the half-life of caffeine in your body is about five hours. That means the caffeine you took at 5 p.m. is still a half strength when you go to bed at 10 p.m. Yep. And it's stopping you from getting that deep cycle sleep. Remember, deep cycle sleep is critical. Lack of deep cycle sleep creates chronic pain. And lack of deep cycle sleep may be the single greatest predictor of Alzheimer's. It's the caffeine after lunch that stops you feeling that deep cycle sleep, which creates chronic pain and which is a tremendous factor in Alzheimer's. And that should get our attention. Yeah. So, you know, you cut off caffeine shortly after lunch. Then when you need it, it'll be there for you. And the source of caffeine appears to be important. Coffee drinkers across the board are living several years longer than non-coffee drinkers. People say, "I must be immortal then." But you <laughs> drink a lot of coffee. Yeah. So here's what we do: uh, coffee and tea both are very good for us. And a cup or two of coffee, and tea at breakfast, cup or two at lunch, then switch to decaf. Have all you want, okay? and and. The sodas are a carcinogen. I think coffee is so good for us just because the other stuff is so darn bad. Yep. Sodas are sugary poison. Now, one soda a day is like one candy bar a day. But if your only form of hydration is sodas, like going only form of nutrition was candy bars. And the diet sodas might be worse. The data keeps up. Again, one diet soda a day, no big deal. If your blood type is that Coke, it that's your only form of hydration – You got a problem. Yeah. When the energy drinks, the energy drinks are condensed poison. Now we've been at war for twenty years. We're now on our twentieth year of war. For the first fifteen years, we passed out water like candy. uh, energy drinks. They gave us energy drinks by the palace. We passed them out the tubes. Aren't we nice guys? And then two major department of defense wide study the energy drinks, and as of about five years ago, for all practical purposes there is a complete ban on issuing energy drinks to the troops. Wow, that's it's huge. Nothing good to in those things. In an academic environment, the one taking the most energy drinks were the ones with the worst grades. In a tactical environment, the one taking the most energy drinks were the ones most likely to nod off on the job. Wow. They do the opposite of what we think they do. They don't make us better students. They don't make us better cops. They make us worse. All there is in that energy drink is a mega dose of caffeine and sugar, And some stuff that make you metabolize it quickly. It will give you a one hour burst of physical ability before a PT test, before an athletic event. One energy drink is not a bad idea. Any other time, the first one is good for about an hour, then you crash. Second one feels good for 10 minutes, you crash. Third one feels good for five minutes, you crash. After the first energy drink, you're doing nothing but building up your tolerance to caffeine and making an, and doing greater and greater harm to your body, we got we got people in the thirties who have the heart of an eighty-year-old man because the energy drinks are absolutely destroying their hearts and destroying their bodies.
0: Wow, they're
1: poison, and and we should be deeply concerned about the people pounding those things down constantly. Again, in the military, we know that it's bad for uh, academics, it's bad for performance. I had a guy the other day he said he said yeah, but but. I have an energy drink before every workout. No, 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 no. Save the energy drink for the competition. Mm-hmm. Save the energy drink for your personal best. Maybe one day a week, one day a month. Shoot for your record. Shoot for your personal best. Yeah. But you do it every day before your workout because that's counterproductive. You're, you're building up a tolerance to caffeine. And then mm-hmm. when it comes to actual performance without the caffeine in your body, your body's not going to be able to function. You, you you want to be able to, to pull out those stops anytime, anywhere, not with that mega dose of caffeine. So it's something we use in specific circumstances as we strive for our personal best, maybe weightlifting or running, as we strive for for an athletic event or before a PT test. But that's the only place those energy drinks are doing any good. And so those are life hacks that we can begin to apply right now. Boom. Those are and so now, good.
0: Yeah. I wanted to ask you really quick on sleep. Um just, just two things. One, when it comes to shift work, I've done a lot of just research on sleep and shift work. It seems terrible because like at 10 o'clock from 10 to two, you know, we get the sleep or hormones, growth hormone, and all these good things are forming at that time during sleep. But if you're working shift work, you're not getting that. So my question is, do you think there is any hack for shift work? And then I wanted to also ask you, what are you personally doing for sleep? Do you like melatonin or like, what is, yeah. what are some things yeah. that you do?
1: You know, I, I think that there, there can be hacks if you've got to do shift work. Yeah. If you have uh, to, I think, uh, I think again, limit your caffeine and then use caffeine to get you on the right cycle. Whatever your shift is, when you wake up, cup it to a coffee, whenever you, you know, your equivalent of lunch would be cup it to a coffee, then switch to decaf. Mm. And, and, and again, uh, you know, if you start shifting your caffeine, the shift changes. Your caffeine changes, and that's a great body cue. It's a great cue to your body. And again, also make sure you're sleeping in a totally dark room, which yeah. is hard when you yeah. work a night shift during the day. I mean, the military, our pilots are fanatical about sleeping in a totally dark room, and getting quality sleep. And the media t- trains, and uh, the military trains the pilots put aluminum foil over the window to block out all light. They don't do that just keep the brain waves out right <laughs> but there's other things you can do you know w- when you do your shift change all right so you go from the, you go from days to uh, to evenings right and uh, and you you, you go to evenings but you can still have the same sleep time you sleep before you go to work or you sleep after you go to work and try to keep that sleep time as stable as you can so you know you make a shift change but you can still have your sleep be the same. You sleep before you go to work. You sleep after you go to work. Try to create as much stability as possible in your sleep cycle. So let's say you cycle, you do days, you do evenings, you do mornings. Well, somewhere in there, you're going to have to change your your sleep cycle. One of those three, but the two out of three, you can keep your sleep consistent. And so there's a lot of hacks that we can do, you know, food, you know, you, you roll over, you get a you get a good meal, you get the light turned on, you get a couple of cups of coffee. Those are all powerful biological cues. And I am a big supporter of melatonin. Yeah. I take melatonin on a steady basis. Uh, uh, I think the, as you get older and older, the body produces less and less melatonin. I, I think the, about your age, uh, just a little baby dose of melatonin. You know, uh, uh, you know uh, um, I forget, it. I think it's milligrams are measured in, but... Just you know, uh, uh, two or three milligrams. I I take I take uh, five milligrams every night to sleep. Yeah,
0: five milligrams and, uh, the standard dosage. Yeah,
1: yeah. And and I think when you're younger, start with a lower dose and see how it does and how your sleep is and 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 use your, your and that's where that fitness tracker is so valuable. Use your fitness tracker and track your sleep and your quality of sleep. So if you you're using melatonin, you know five milligrams, kind of that baseline. I, I really think you start a little lower. And, uh, and if you and, and I, I used to, I, I checked up on this and I was saying something wrong I said you know you can't do too much your body just pisses out what you don't need yeah. but then some research came out said that's ah, not right and I really trying to say with the latest research you can you can get to a point where your body stops producing melatonin itself because you're doing it artificially uh, really the data is there I think that data that's, that's fairly new research but I think it's solid research. So you should stay with as small a dose as you can that's still doing the job. And, and again, as we get older and older, the body produces less and less melatonin. Yeah. In your 20s and your 30s, a 2-milligram melatonin on your 20s and 30s, I think is a really reasonable dose. By the time you get in your 4. I'm, I'm 64. Uh, it's my prayer to do what I do for the next 20 years. And I, have a, I think I have a 5-milligram every night, and the time may come to bounce out of a notch. So the, I think melatonin is is it's uh and I'm, I'm big on longevity stuff and yeah I yeah research on that I do a lot of supplements and uh, and one study one guy said as far as availability price and uh, and, and and impact melatonin may be the best uh, uh, longevity drug this just one doc's opinion wow but uh, uh, you know we trace longevity with yeast worms flies rats monkeys and humans that's kind of like the evolution and in yeast and worms and flies and 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 rats at least melatonin appears to be a increased longevity by about 10 15 maybe 20 percent my wife is kind of a wow. skeptic she says my wife Phew. says oh the worms the worms in your body will live 20 percent longer right? <laughs> <laughs> so you know it's hard to create right. studies it's hard to do the longevity studies with people you know yeah and um, so there's, uh, you know, in the life hacks. But I'd like to introduce two other kind of life hacks for uh, everybody out there. I'm tell a story. You know, I, I went to ranger school, and we go through several cycles. In the first cycle of ranger school, you're in the barracks, and then you're doing patrol operations in the in the Fort Benning area. And then you go to the mountain phase, then you go to the jungle phase. And over the years, they put a desert phase in. They took it back out again. But in ranger school, you go days without food and days without sleep. And that lack of food, lack of sleep, you know, uh, it doesn't teach you I don't need sleep. It teaches you what a useless zombie you are without sleep. Yeah. And ranger school didn't teach me I don't need food. Ranger school taught me that uh, they always have food in a pocket somewhere, you know. <laughs> uh, but if I have to go a day without food, it's no big deal. A lot of people go a day without food, The body panics. No food, no food. Oh, no. We've never been here before. So, you so, you know, I, th- I think fasting, I think maybe periodically, 24 hours without food, uh, and is, you get used to it. You, you begin to realize, I'm in charge of my body. My body says it wants food, but I'm not going to give it food for 24 hours. I'm in charge. And peri- periodic fasting uh, it appears to be a factor in longevity, too. Another topic, another subject I don't really delve into. But um, so I went to ranger school and, and – uh, I I I was just this ball of fire, man. I was just the guys going there doing things, you know. We, we we'd we we'd be doing a you know, you get a long line of twenty guys going across a creek. You, bust them, you go that squad goes left, that squad goes right, we cross it in three places, join back up and cut the time to a third, you know. And we're out there just doing things like that. And so we we get back from the uh, from the, the the first uh uh oh, about three weeks or so of Ranger school and the And, you know, and and we're we're turning our equipment back in. We've gone, again, we've gone day or two without sleep, day or two without food. It was just the beginning, and everybody's kind of – and so we had a big, tall Marine in our platoon going to ranger school with with us. And and he was in the outhouse, and he got the cargo pocket on your leg, and his map was in his cargo pocket that fell in the outhouse. So it's sitting there, you know, like a little – like a little flag in the middle of this shit, you know? Yeah. And he, he just he says, guys, I dropped got my map in the outhouse and I can't reach it. I, I need somebody to hold me while I go in the outhouse to get the map. And everybody everybody's like, oh <laughs> I'm out. I said, You want of stinking Bravo Foxtrot? You know, you a bunch of dirtbags. He's not asking you to get the map. He's just asking to hold this stinking feet. <laughs> and my buddy there, Jim Boyle, and my ranger buddy, and, and I talk a little bit about Ranger School in the book on spiritual that. My buddy, Jim Boyle, was there, big guy. I said, Jim Boyle, let's go dip this marine in the ship. <laughs> 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 he's gagging it. You know, and he reaches down, he gets the map. You know, and we pull it back out. And, uh, and we all pour our canteens on and try to wash some of the shit up, you know. So oh, we're all in line now, we're gonna turn in our equipment and <laughs> turns in this map, and the ranger <laughs> sergeant takes it throws it away. But uh, shortly after that, uh, you know, I had been the first student body commander, and it was the most awful thing that ever happened to me. I had prior service enlisted in prior service things, so they okay, girls, but you know, and nothing goes right in the first week of ranger school, you know, the best day of my life I said. Ranger Grossman, you've been relieved. Ranger so and so, you're now the commander. <laughs> Thank God. Before I, left, before I did, I, I said, You bunch of stinking buddy foxtrots, you bunch of dirtbags, it's time for you to get your shit together and take care of this next chain of command. You got to get through the chow line fast. Your leaders aren't eating because they don't eat until the tubes do, and we're out of time. And they're not eating. They're missing meals. They're missing sleep because you're screwing them over. Grab your food and run. Take care of the killer man, get your stuff together. I just chewed them all out. Then I saluted and, and handed over to man the other guy. So here we are again, right? We we just dipped this marine in the outhouse. I seen you bunch of dirt bags. I'm done with you. I just you, 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 he just asked you, you bunch of you so thing we do after that is a pure about right? We all get pure about yeah. And I thought, oh, they're gonna pure me out. I don't care, bunch of dirt bags, <laughs> and uh yeah, you know, we all hate grossman, we all hate this dirt bag, right? So the uh, that the the ranger instructors that's our, tat, our tack and He called Jim Boyle and I in, and he said, "The Ranger Boylan, Ranger Grossman, oh, you're going to split you up in two different platoons on the next uh, as we go to the mountain phase. Oh, at least we're going to go to the mountain phase. We haven't been peered out." Okay, uh, I said, "Sir, oh, oh, why are you doing that?" And he said, "Well, everybody in the platoon, peered two number one and number two in the platoon." Wow! And, uh, it's like whoa. Now, when I went to the mountain phase, I just became another zombie, one foot in front of the other. If they'd have had honor graduate at the end of the first phase, I'd have been a baby. We get in that second phase, and I just became another zombie, just putting one foot in front of the other. You know, my body had never experienced all this sleep deprivation, this food deprivation. It was the kids that came from the ranger battalion. They went through their RIP program who had been pre-inoculated. But the point of it is, you know, that when things go to hell, they turn towards that aggressive, go do it, I can do it, I want to do it kind of people. When they're tired and they're exhausted, they turn to those people. So I, I give a police example of this now. A guy named Mike Neal in Arkansas. And two uh, white supremacists, a father and son, sovereign nation, had murdered two cops in West Memphis, uh, Arkansas. And there's a dragnet. as cops are coming from every direction. And a fish and game officer by the name of Mike Neals coming from like 100 miles away at 90 miles an hour. And, and they're all kind of closing in, looking for this vehicle, looking for these people. And he pulls into Walmart. And these two idiots, his father and son, had murdered two cops and just got off their lives. They went shot and they went to Walmart. And the sheriff, who didn't have a gun on him, the sheriff didn't even run for re-election, the sheriff's a destroyed human being. And a deputy was pinned down behind this police vehicle, this brown vehicle. And the father and son are hanging out the windows of their van, shooting these guys. So Mike Neal shows up, he gets online and said, well, we found your bad guys there. They have, they have two people undercover and, and, and they, they at the Walmart and they kind of didn't believe him. They didn't want to believe it. So he, his vehicle is in the, uh, you know, the national law enforcement museum, but he revs his vehicle up, probably about 40 miles an hour. A lot of people seen the video of him hitting this vehicle, this van with his vehicle, the quickest way he had to get their attention and stop them killing these guys. And then he had his own AR, uh, uh, 5.56, five, with uh, with his own ammo. He had selected a, a tap ammo. He wanted the penetration on the 5.56. Five, and uh, and he grabbed his AR in the seat next to him and th- threw his own windshield and through their windshield, and in some cases through the metal in the vehicle, he killed them both. And uh, recently, well, not too long ago, he was elected sheriff. And he told me, he said, I'm the kind of cop other cops make fun of. He said, they don't make fun of me no more.
0: Uh They
1: don't make fun of me no more. Be that kind of cop. Be that kind of cop. You know, we all talk about Berry, right? You know, We all this, you know, this Tackaberry model. You know, you don't want to, you know, there's a limit, but you can push that limit. Be that kind of cop. People, when things are going bad, when people are food deprived and they're sleep deprived, when things are falling apart, when things are coming unglued, They will turn towards that person with the energy. They will turn to the person with that drive. Yeah. You know, here's my major life hack. Well, the first of two major life hacks is, is be that kind of cop. I love that phrase. You know, he's here. Adored, respected. They've been in several other shootings. He leads from the front. He shot more bad guys in the flu vaccine, you know, and and, and he's he's respected in Arkansas by the voters and he's respected by his troops. And he leads from the front and uh, and the words just they, they echo in me. I'm the kind of cop other cops make fun of. They don't make fun of me no more. So be that kind of cop, you know. And and other people, you know, you're, you're a threat to them. You know, you're 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 striving to a higher standard. You know that. Yeah. So okay. they get along when things come unglued. They'll be turning to you when things go to hell, and you need to have that skill. Uh, and and I, I use the example of uh, of uh, uh, Officer Greg Stevens at Draw the Prophet Muhammad Art Festival outside of Dallas, Texas, and I hold up a picture of, of President Obama putting a medal around this guy's neck. Now he's forty. He's, he's fifty-nine years old. He's sixty. Fifty-nine years old at the time of the incident. Uh, just a few months later, he had his birthday. He was sixty years old. Sixty-year-old man, Obama putting a medal around his neck. And uh, so, from this point on, Obama gave him the medal. Right? He he can do no harm. No matter what he did. You know, it's okay. Yeah. And he was providing security, he was on a detail, uh, uh, providing security, you know, off duty time, getting paid, at the Draw the Prophet Muhammad Art Festival, May 2015, outside of Dallas, Texas. Mm. In the eyes of Islam, to draw the Prophet is a terrible crime. These guys had the right to do it, and afraid it would draw bad guys, and it did. So two art critics from Arizona showed up with AK forty sevens and body armor. Could have been the pulse night times too. They had body armor. They had rifles. They had the element of surprise. Now, officer Greg Stevens had never fired his weapon in a life and death event in 37 years, but, but he was providing security all day long. And he wasn't sitting in his vehicle. He said, if I'd been sitting in my vehicle, I'd be dead. He didn't have his head in his cell phone. He said, if I'd had my head in my cell phone, I'd be dead. He was standing doing his job and a, a, a black car without a state license plate screeches to halt at an unusual location. And they want to talk to you. they have stopped back there. Yeah. And, and, and both doors pop open. He's already in position one. Or get good firm grip on his weapon. Yeah. Two bad guys with rifles roll out and open fire over 30 shots of rifle fire fired to him that won't hit once. He's hitting virtually every shot fire. He draws and fires and and basically an incredible act of marksmanship and skill kills them both. Holy. Uh, one of the greatest acts of, uh, of valor in American history. And uh, and he's, he wasn't a SWAT dog. He'd been a negotiator for a long time. You know, he, he, he was very calm. He had a sight picture of every shot, not a perfect sight picture, but a good one. Yeah. And, and I think being a negotiator might have had something to do with his ability to stay in the zone there. But uh, he wasn't a SWAT dog, he wasn't a competitive shooter. But his department had an open range once a month. Range is open, ammo's available. And once a month, Officer Greg Stevens is on the range. Oh, they're not even paying you. You're off duty. What are you to go to the range for? Because I'm a Texas cop. I live on dirt. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and, and ammo is expensive. And the range is open and ammo is there. Yeah. And I tell people, for 37 years, once a month, Officer Greg Stevens made a deposit in his savings account in May of 2015, he drew a major withdrawal. Yep. How much golfing could he have done? One Saturday a month for 37 years. How much time could he spend with his family? And I tell people, you know, the Bible says greater is more than this. They give their life for their friends. But there's many ways to give your life. Maybe give one Saturday a month at the range. There's many ways to give your life. And I, I just encourage everybody, seek a hobby that reinforces your survival skills. Marksmanship skills, martial arts. Uh, there's so many things we could be doing. At least seek a hobby that has cardio demands, running, swimming, basketball, softball, tennis, all have cardio demands. I got a model runs through my Sci-Fi Fantasy series. I use it. It's kind of a running gag in my classes. Piss on golf. Right? There's no survival spill found on the golf course. There's no cardio demands on the golf <laughs> course. The rest of the golf course is a willful and deliberate misuse of a perfectly good rifle range. And uh, and, and it's always fun to make make fun of our golfers are always good sports. Sometimes they're best shots. But the point for all of us can be, you know, how can we better spend our time at the moment of truth to have what we need? Officer Greg Stevens, you know, in the, in the military, I trained the Air Force Security Forces a lot. Now they had a guy at Fairchild Air Force Base, uh, about uh, going on 30 years ago now, who um, uh, did an early mass murder. Wasn't even anybody's radar screen. Mass murder in the hospital and then chasing people out of the hospital. And a security force uh, airman by the name of uh, uh, Andy Brown comes up on a bicycle. And this guy's 70 yards away from him shooting people. He draws a Beretta and fires a volley and hits with every shot, hits with three shots from 70 yards away, called the miracle shot. But It wasn't a miracle shot. It was a miracle of training. See, Andy Brown couldn't afford a Beretta So he bought a Taurus knockoff. He bought the closest thing he could get and could afford. And he bought the ammo. And he's at the range. They had a range open. They didn't provide the ammo. The range was open. And every weekend, for a little while, he was at the range shooting his ammo through his gun. And he did a lot of long shots. He did close shots, long shots, four shots, mag changes, tactical changes. It, it, It was the miracle of training. Uh, with his own money, with his own time, he practiced long shots for an hour. He'd just sit for an hour and practice hitting steel from 70 yards until he could tap steel. You know, I wanted to shoot steel, you know, boom, yeah. ding, boom,
0: ding, boom, yep. ding, ding. That immediate and, and, reaction. And
1: it, it, you know, Arnold Palmer, great golfer, Arnold Palmer was one time told, you get pretty lucky lately. He said, you know, it's funny. The more I practice, the luckier I get. Oh, so that's great. be that kind of guy. Be that kind of person. Seek that hobby that reinforces your survival skills. Whatever it is you do in life, do it 100%. Do it with energy. Do it with all you got. If, if it's worthy of doing, it's worthy of doing completely and fully with, with energy. And people will turn to you in that time of need. When things are coming unglued, you'll see that that's the kind of person they look up to. Uh, so one last life hack. Uh, when we talk about resiliency around the world, They talk about faith as one of the pillars of resiliency. And and we talk about what we call an internal locus of control. Identify all the things in the world you can't control and let go of them. Turn them over to higher power. The past. Everything in the past is done. you got to let go of it. Turn it over to a higher power. What, What other cops are doing, what superiors are doing, you can't control that. Yeah, the global, the national—you can't influence that except when you go to vote once every year. A Lieutenant old-
0: Colonel, we have a uh, phrase in our in our organization that the uh, the 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 cops like to always say. It's a common phrase you hear within the organization, and it's they're fucking us, and we joke around about it because you know they're always. That's what the troops are always saying. Like they're forcing a new policy down our throat. They're making us do this now. They're doing, and now the. The mayor is making this happen. They're defunding us, whatever. And uh, so this goes right in hand with what, what well, you're saying.
1: The only thing in the universe you can control is yourself right now. If you give away to bitterness or cynicism or complacency or denial, that's the one thing in the universe you can control. And you've given them a victory with your own hand. If If they cause you to be bitter, if they make you to be hostile, if they make you to be angry, if they make you to be complacent, then you gave them that victory. That's the one thing you can control. It's not the thing itself, but the way that you respond to it that matters. Yeah. And so having a higher power to hand things over to is really, really part of that dynamic. And uh, my latest book is on spiritual combat. I got on killing. I got on combat. Now we got on spiritual combat. And, and it, if it, it, you, it, you can't be at this job long without looking right in the eyes of evil. Now, most people we deal with are just confused. They need help. Some of them need correction. So we send them to a correctional facility for a while and see if they get this stuff together. But every now and then, you see the, the murder of children. You see terrible abuse Innocence. Uh, and you see just flat evil to k- k- spine tingle. And, and if you and, and who can deny there's evil in this world, then you need to have a force for good to go against that evil. If you you know, and that's where that higher power comes from. You gotta have a force for good and believe in a force for good if you're gonna face evil. And so uh that's what the book on spiritual combat is about. And it's worthy of going to Amazon and look at the reviews and seeing why and how it works. And, and kind of a follow-on to that book, we actually wrote it first, but it's a follow-on. It's Bulletproof Marriage, 90 Day Devotional. And you can u- use this life hack again. You can use faith as a life hack to leverage your relationship with your spouse. And that's yeah. what that book is. I, I think the final and ultimate life hack is to realize that there's going to be eternity. You know, the world says life is hard, then you die. And God says, you know, that to, to live is to be a beautiful thing, and to die is even better that delivers Christ and to die is gained so you know it you makes your choice life is hard then you die you know life's a, a crap sandwich every day I have to take a bite or there's another way to look at it you know, life is beautiful and to die is even better and the great adventure awaits us afterwards and uh, and so uh, were, those those are the ultimate life hack and uh, sustain yourself over the long haul in the big picture and uh, and and it, it's such an honor to talk to Joel and all your listeners out there and will recommend this on my social media and uh, we'll go some places here that we've done some things here I haven't done otherwise and maybe we'll get to some new listeners out there. But yeah, well, idea, I love the concept of life hacks, getting those hacks and getting your life hacked and, and covered. It's such a neat idea.
0: Hey, um, you know, something that came to mind when you were just saying at the very end, you know, I had a question I wanted to ask you and it was, yeah. you know, what, you know, morale is at an all time low for first responders and everything with defunding the police and just the protest. And I was going to say, what, what, you know, what message would you deliver to the troops? But I feel like you answered it. And I feel like the answer is faith. And I would have never thought of that. And there's, it reminds me of this Tony Robbins quote where he says, fear will fuck you. Faith will unleash you. And I think you really just brought that home and just said, yeah, whatever you can control. Like, Everyone's going to batter you up from the outside. But what can you control? Control that. And if you can control and live in a state of bliss, then life is good, yeah. my friend.
1: People are doing that. People are doing that. You know, this world can chew me up and spit me out. I control. We, we get people come out of POW camps and, and Nazi death camps. And said the one thing they couldn't control was what was happening inside of me. And I was not going to give them that victory. Yeah, don't give them that victory. Yeah, I'll give you one last angle on why we do what we do. Right, I'm 64 years old. I I retired from the army 23 years ago. With the exception of the pandemic, I've been on the road somewhere between 200 and 300 days every year for 23 years. Waiting at home for me is my bride of 45 years, my high school sweetheart. Uh, She was 15, I was 17 when I proposed to her. We we are from Arkansas. Two years, later, two years later, she married a crazy Army paratrooper, been in this ride with me for 45 years. I love more than life itself. So good. But I spent more time away from her. I get home one, maybe two nights a week, comfortable visit, clean where back on the road. Because the only people on earth, more precious than my bride, are my grandchildren. And we believe if we love our children, if we love our grandchildren, if we love our nation, if we love our God, that we'll walk out that door and give 100%. I'm 64 years old, and it's my prayer. I can do this for another 20 years because I love my children. I love my grandchildren. I love my nation. I love my God. And, And in the end, that's the most powerful motivation on earth. The opposite of evil is not good. The opposite of evil is love. Ah. Evil is the absence of love. And God loves us intensely and fully, and he wants us to prosper and thrive. And like you said, you know, faith will fuck you. But again, fear will fuck you, but faith faith will empower you. Yeah. And and so, you know, and then the essence of faith is love. That's what it's all about. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes with him shall not perish, have everlasting life. And so uh, you know, the, 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 if you want to have something to face evil, it's love. The opposite yeah. of evil is love.
0: That's so and, and
1: that's why I do what I do, and that's why you do what you do. Nobody can pay you enough money to die. What do you do? Tell me if I don't do it. So go put your life on the line every day. There's only one thing in the universe that will make a person put their life on the line. and That's love. Love for our fellow troops in combat. And I, I give the example, of, and I talk more about him in the uh, and on spiritual combat, uh, Christopher Amoroso, a uh, police officer, going up the World Trade Center for the third time on 9/11, and uh, you know what could make a man when everybody else is running away, when thousands were running away from the World Trade Center, and 400 cops and firefighters died going up the steps. Why? Why did they go toward the danger and 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 really love? Yeah. The mama critter will die for one thing: her babies. Only her babies, not anybody else's babies. The sheepdog loves enough to die for other people's loved ones. Yeah. But that'll make them heroes. They're heroes because they walk out the door every day prepared to lay down their life. This is in our Sheepdog Kids book. Sometimes the greatest love is not to sacrifice your life, but to live a life of sacrifice. And that's what it's all about.
0: So powerful. To
1: live a life of sacrifice because we love.
0: That's great. It's so powerful. Um, Lieutenant Colonel, I want to wrap things up with uh, just a quick lightning round of questions. Are you down for that? Sure. You're going to like this. I promise. Um, if the old you could see the new you, what would the new you say?
1: I uh, just, to the climb deeper in your faith to understand in the end, the answer lies in faith and, and, and in deeper faith.
0: Yeah. Um, what are some choices that you made that you think made you who you are today?
1: You know, I, I think it was the decision to, to be a sheepdog, to be a warrior. Um, uh, you know, I, I went to I've seen some, some movies when I was little, some some TV shows. And I, I went to first grade, didn't have kindergarten at that place in that point in time. First day of school, first day. Of, and the teacher has an icebreaker. Says, what are you going to be when you grow up? Everybody talking about it. And I said, I'm going to be a soldier. That's all I ever wanted to do, you know, and uh, and that decision. And then uh, a, a book in, that's uh, Starship Troopers by Robert Heinlein. Uh, you know, it's, it's only two science fiction. I'm a big science fiction fan. I wrote it, I read a science fiction series, but uh, the only science fiction books back in the day that were in the officers recommended reading list with all these, you know, all these was, uh, was uh, Orson Scott cards, interest game and Robert Heinlein's starship troopers. And if you put 10 infantry officers together back in the day, five of them read starship troopers and shoving it down the throat of the other five, you know, oh, wow. but that was just a great influencer. Uh, you know, a guy came in and enlisted in a in an elite unit. I was, I was an airborne paratrooper. He went to OCS. He became an officer and went back and served. That was that was like his life model for me. And it really did work. And, uh, and it was his decision to follow that path and to go to OCS and to, every step of the way to, you know, just kind of be able to contribute at a higher level. That, that decision that uh, in the first grade, I'm going to be a soldier. And then when I retired, I found out that, that life begins at retirement. Yeah. You think you're the old timer, you you know, among all your peers, you're the old grizzled dog. Then you get out and you realize you're not that old at all. In the world's eyes, you're still in your prime and you are. And now you got a chance to make the greatest contribution after you retire. So plan on that long life and and making contribution every step of the way.
0: That's so good. Um, What are, uh, what are some exciting projects that you're working on right now?
1: Well, you know, we—I—I I got a book. It come out early next spring. All it's right. called "On Killing Remotely," and it's going to be a big deal. I, my yeah. Facebook—I I just kind of put the the cover on the Facebook page. I'm only—I'm I'm doing this with a guy. I'm excited about this. Maybe five years ago, this Marine Corps little uh, l- lieutenant colonel says, "I think we should write a book on on killing remotely with drones and predators." Uh, he was in charge of a predator unit. He'd been a predator operator, been walking terrorists with hellfire missiles. And I said, man, this is an awesome idea. Here's what you need to do. Here's what I did with on killing. Do your lit review. Look at everything written on the topic and collect the stuff that you want. Do interviews and surveys and collect all the information you can. And then sit down and organize that logically and, and get back with me. And, and he did. And he it was just a home run hit. He just knocked it out of the park. And so I got him to my literate agent. Uh, My agent is one of the, you know, I I got linked up with him 30 years ago. He's one of the great professionals in this, in this business. He doesn't take anybody else, but I got said this to Richard Curtis. Richard said, this is why I became an agent to get books like this out there. And so uh, they'll be out in the spring. It's called on killing remotely. and, uh, And it talks about the psychological, you know, what's happened to these guys? What should we do? What should we do better? You know, what's the impact? So what's the morality of it as far as our civilization goes that we're choosing to do these kind of things uh, you know there've been similar dynamics uh, throughout history pirates piracy across the seas if caught caught in the act of piracy the captain to hang them right now any nation anywhere you run into a pirate you kill them right now and kind of a similar dynamic with terrorism around the world Well, why can these people uh, you know they're, they're 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 clearly terrorists they're in, invested in this uh international terrorism dynamic uh, The the other book that's right behind it in the pipeline is on hunting, psychology and physiology of man, the predator. And and, and I'm excited about that one. Uh, You know, auditory exclusion. You know, we've gotten a life hacks about telling people, you know, that the shots get muted and tunnel vision and auditory exclusion and memory gaps and memory distortions. Those are all forewarned and forearmed on my book on combat. The only action you can engage in that consistently taps into that line of pool of responses to life and death events, and by that we mean primarily auditory exclusion, is hunting. Hunting and combat are very closely interwoven in our minds. It's the only place, the only thing you can engage in hunting that consistently taps into all the dynamics in, that we see occurring the human body and life and death events. You know, uh, we, yeah. talk feeder, we talk about buck fever, we talk about... Tunnel vision, we talk about auditory exclusion, hunters don't hear the shot. And and so it's, I'm excited about that. It's going to be an important book. And it has what we call uh, eco-radicalism. And you know, how are we going to protect the elephants? Well, here's what they're doing. One nation in Africa, the locals own this terrain. And the elephant and the lion and everybody else on that territory belongs to them. And so that American who's going to pay $50,000 to kill that tiger which, oh, by the way, is only a year away from dying of natural death anyway. And, oh, by the way, dying of natural death in nature is a very horrible, slow, hideous act. You ever think <laughs> of dying in nature of old yeah. age? Yeah, yeah. They eat you alive. You, you're you in agony for days while you're being <laughs> eaten alive. You know, dying of old age in nature is not a nice thing. This is not Walt Disney. This is for real. And, yeah. and so here's this lion a year away from, uh, from, uh, from dying anyway. And it's crazy. America won't pay $50,000 to come over and shoot him. You know, it's a win-win deal. And the natives get the meat of whatever's being killed. He gets the lion head, He takes it home. They get 25000 The lion was going to die anyway. So there's this weird dynamic. We see it in America with Ducks Unlimited and some of the other things. But hunters and, and the money from hunting really has become, and, and we got this negative look at game hunting. We need to look at it from a for more positive dynamic understand the value that's being put into the system. Like I said, killing a critter that's at the, you know, past their prime, you know, that when we kill that buck with that great big rack, he's in his last year or two of life anyway. And yeah. and it, you cannot emphasize enough that dying of old age in nature is a slow, hideous, horrible death it takes days as, you know, as they eat you alive while you It's a horrible thing. Yeah. So anyway, but uh, it's going to be a neat book. And, and we're, we're still looking for a publisher on that and kind of, polishing that one up that we um, my agent richard curtis is you know manhattan agent wonderful friend good man but he he really hasn't got any inlets into conservative dynamics so he's not being very helpful he just hasn't got the leads to be able to sell this book so we're looking uh, for it'll yeah yeah
0: that's great um I know you're a big guy in like health and wellness. Is there anybody that you follow or that inspires you today that, that, you, always, that you like to watch?
1: You know, I read Science Daily, ScienceDaily.com every day, and especially in the first two medical categories. But then I get to the third category. There's a lot of repetition. I found you see all the new stuff. And any time they mention a study of a supplement that contributes to longevity, I give it a try. Yeah, so I go straight. I go straight to the source, and and I I collect those you know those articles and the the, the supplements he be doing. So they're not a particular individual for me. It's 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 going through the original source, and it doesn't take long to scan through this recap in Science Daily and say I'm going to try that supplement. I going not see like, what that does. Yeah, so like that's that. that's my go to. Yeah.
0: Um, any, any books, I'm a big reader. Are there any like one to three top books that you think had really had an impact on your life that you'd recommend other people read?
1: Well, Starship Troopers, uh, uh, Robert Heinlein, uh, the, uh, Tolkien, Lord of the Rings are really creating this ethos. And, uh, yeah. uh, I'm a big fan of CS Lewis, which is a big Christian writer. And he wrote a series called the, the Narnia series, which I read to my kids, you know, I read through the whole series, chapter a night, and uh, but it was a, an allegory from a Christian Protestant perspective. What people don't realize is Tolkien and C.S. Lewis were uh, were contemporaries in the same college, and Tolkien wrote the Lord of the Rings as a uh, as a Christian allegory from a uh, from a Catholic perspective. But both of them talk about virtue and honor and positive dynamics and contribution and overcoming hard. I, I think those are really uh, uh, I, yeah, I read a lot of science fiction fantasy and there's some good stuff happening there. Uh, but uh, there's always, there's always good stuff out there. And, and uh, we live in amazing times. I would download it in the Kindle, you know, I'd go off for a week and or I'd go off on a deployment and have, you know, a dozen paperbacks shoved in something. And now I, I just got my little Kindle and it's all on there, you know, and it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. But uh, yeah, I think part of your baseline as, as virtuous, honorable, Warriors and contributors and guardians. I think Starship Troopers is a is a great starting point, and and then uh, yeah, like I said, there's the fundamentals of ethics and virtue and valor and Lord of the Rings. It doesn't get much better than that. I love yeah, that. read the series and then look at the then look at the movies and it'll, it'll rock your world. It's good stuff.
0: Love it. um Last question, and then we'll we'll wrap it up. Um, any uh, like rituals or hacks uh, that you practice on like a regular basis? Like some people do gratitude journaling. Is there anything that that you do on a regular basis.
1: Well, you know uh, there is, and it's it's really uh, uh, my wife, bride of forty five years, is having some anxiety a while back, and I would pray for her as she went to sleep every night, and 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 extensively, and it developed and evolved, and, uh, and when I am gone, every night she's ready to go to bed, I kiss her good night, I pray for her, and then she prays for me, and uh, but uh, you know, I said, uh, I'll tell you what, I pray for my bride. I said, dear God, thank you for all the blessings of this day. I thank you, my darling Jeannie. Please bless and watch over and protect my Jeannie and all of her loved ones and all of her endeavors. Bless this girl with the best of blessings. Keep a host of angels about my Jeannie and her entire family to bless and protect. Fill her life with love and joy and great peace to be given and received to flow like a river through our life. Bless her with great health and happiness and prosperity. Bless her loved ones and I, I'll run through our children's name and our grandchildren's names, you know, and, and bless her now with a good night's sleep and a wonderful day tomorrow and sweet dreams tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. I was uh, picked up by uh, a cop a while back and uh, and I was in California and, and uh, she was going to bed and, and it's one of those things I try to do every night. And so I just kind of leaned away from him in the window and said a little prayer to her. And, you know, and He overheard it. He said, "Is that's really a wonderful thing. Yeah. You see, you do that for your wife every night. It's, yeah, yeah, every night. And so uh, you know, it's uh you know, the most important relationship you have is you and your spouse. It's a, a relationship that has to be invested in and nurtured and uh, you know, and and being able to love and forgive. And we just love each other's company because we just we accept each other. We, you know, we, we accept each other, you know, there is you know her gasp, my snorting and snuffling and we just won't hear more of that you know <laughs> and we love each other's company we love each other's jokes we, we watch shows together you know and so anyway it's a uh, it's a life hack and, and maybe the most important one of all and uh before that it was reading to my kids every night i would have told the most important life hack now we have now we got uh, grandkids that just went to college you know and the years go by
0: that is so good. What a what a great way to end the show, um, Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman. Thank you so much. And uh, last but not least, where can people find you and your work?
1: You know, uh, I, I do a lot of stuff on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. You know, I, my son and I have a gun business, uh, sheepdogknifeandgun.com. dot com. If you mention guns on on Facebook, they kind of <laughs> you know they, they edit that out. You know, censorship. I, I found that LinkedIn has a whole lot more flexibility a lot better control. I've got about 25,000 uh, people on LinkedIn and, 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 uh, and anybody who has to you know link with me on LinkedIn, I, I bring them in and uh, I, I've got uh, like, you know, the uh, on spiritual combat, I did like 40 memes that go with it. They're great images with the text around it. I posted them on Facebook uh, and my, my latest podcast. I'll post this podcast on Facebook or, and or on, uh, on LinkedIn I post, I post all that on LinkedIn. You go to LinkedIn and look at all my past articles. And I did a thing on how masks empower violence. And uh, we've got to be very careful wearing masks. It can empower violence. It creates a sense of anonymity. It reduces the humanity. So I wear a mask when the situation called for it because I know I don't want to provoke anybody. But a lot of negatives coming out of that we got to be aware of and deal with. So I... I, I Mostly there, but uh, my website is killology.com, k-i-l-l-o-l-o-g-y.com, and we got the books posted there. And then we've got, uh, you know, we got sheepdogknifeandgun.com, and people are out of stock on guns everywhere. And we're, my son is a master gunsmith, handcrafted 1911s so wow. at some really good prices that he, we're knocking out. And then we do some uh, jiu-jitsu, martial art of the firearm uh, uh, guns that are that are based on that. Anyway, all that we do on on LinkedIn and sheepdogknifeandgun.com. dot and, sheepdog, knife, and, and uh, I mostly communicate. To everybody, you know, killology.com has kind of got the foundations. My CB, but I mostly try to pass info on to people through my uh, my uh, LinkedIn connections.
0: That's great. I love Hooray, it. Who Stay
1: safe. And stay hard. And we do what we do because we love our we love our family. We love our children. We love our way of life. We love our nation. We love our God thing about love is the worse you get, the more determined you are. You give it all you got.
0: Ah, hoorah.
1: Hoorah. God bless, brother.
0: Thank you, sir. Oh. Wow. What a monster interview with Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman. I'm super humbled to have interviewed him. He's just such a wealth of knowledge. And I mean, again, I've been following him for 10 years. I mean, over 10 years. And you know, the guy has just compiled, compiled, and compounded knowledge, and he's sharing it with all of us right here, and it's just, man, what a what a humbling experience, and I feel grateful to be able to share this interview with you guys. On a side note, guys, go to coachingcom if you need the show notes, the resources, the links, everything we talked about in this episode is there, so if you need those resources, check it out. Also this podcast is it's a dream come true it's it's super fun to do but it's also a lot of work and one of the ways that you can help me and get this podcast to be seen by many others especially if you got something out of it like if something resonated with you or you got an idea that's just going to help you move the needle forward you know share it with others you know why would you not want others to get better share follow me subscribe subscribe to the channel and better yet the way iTunes discovers podcasts is by leaving a review. So if you go to iTunes and you leave a review, that helps the podcast in more ways than you know. So please do me a favor and do that. Last but not least, if you go to Joellevincoaching.com, I am offering life coaching and health coaching. And I'm not talking about like health coaching like these little things like, you know, you wanna lose weight or or you wanna you wanna gain weight. Like those are easy things. But I'm talking about the tough things, the things that, you know, the modern doctor says can't be healed. I'm talking about like Crohn's disease, Graves' disease, IBS, any of those things, whatever you have, eczema, acne, all these things that you can't get rid of that are like chronic. Let's put those to bed. Let's get rid of those. Okay. Go to the website. You can email me. You can call me. You can text me. I want to hear from you. I want to help you. And I want to connect. Okay. I want to connect in a big way because 2020 is almost over. And it's been a crazy year. The pandemic, everything's been crazy. And let's end it on a high note and let's go into 2021 crushing it. Last but not least, guys, if you see me on social media, you know that I'm a new fit practitioner, which I use an electric stim device known as a newbie. Mike Tyson uses it. Other pro athletes use it to rehab so that they can be at peak performance. And this machine, is helping people with MS, TBI, people that are paralyzed or walking again. I just treated a, a dog the other day, who uh, a German Shepherd, whose hind legs weren't working uh, appropriately. And we're already seeing magnificent results. I treated someone sciatica who couldn't walk for four days. And I'm helping much more. So if you're in San Francisco or the Bay Area, let's connect and let's go.